Hello, dear listeners, and thank you for listening to this podcast, which is all about EU regulation and policies. And again, sometimes it's a description of, of certain new regulations that come out. Sometimes it's an interview with someone who's written about a topic or is a specialist in the topic itself. Today, we're going to be speaking about SPACs. And SPACs, of course, are investment vehicles that invest in IPOs and that then are sold on to institutional investors, but also to retail investors. In this case, I have with me two specialists. One is working for Better Finance, the Financial Users Association in Europe. His name is Eduardo Carlucci, and he is research and policy officer for this organization. And the other one is Roberto Silvestri, who is a manager for EU policy and drought outreach at the CFA Institute and working closely with me. The two of them have completed a task force report on several roundtables that took place over the last couple of months where we talked to institutional investors, stakeholders, stock exchangers, policy officers, really to get a, a feeling of what, what do SPACs mean in Europe? We've seen the explosion of SPACs over the years and even more so the last year or so in the US. In Europe, it's taking longer, but there is quite a lot of interest, specifically in the French and Dutch markets, but also elsewhere, there's been, there's, there's been quite a few SPACs. It was important, we felt, from our two institutions, Better Finance and CFA Institute, because we, we represent two different views. We represent at CFA Institute, the institutional investor, the buy side of the asset management and financial analysts, portfolio managers. So we have a sort of more professional view, but Better Finance represents the retail investor, the shareholder, the individual shareholder. And both of our organizations are present in most EU countries. So we have quite, a, quite an interesting view when we discuss together. We have already in the past done a joint report on sustainable value for money, which was all about that fiduciary responsibility. In this case, can we speak about fiduciary responsibility? Is this something for retail investors? Is this market in the EU ready to deal with SPACs? And what about CMU? Is CMU as a tool, as a policy tool to create a single capital markets union? Is it still... Um, doing the right thing for retail investors. In this context, um, we will be taking a closer look at this. It's, it's important to realize that before 2015, when the Capital Markets Union Action Plan came out, the EU would consistently compare itself to the US. And so in this instance, when we see SPACs exploding in the US, we have to ask ourselves the questions, is this something that is good for the EU? In the years from 2015 to 2022, Capital Markets Union has undergone several changes. We have CMU 2.0, where we're being slightly more pragmatic about perhaps it's not that easy to build a Capital Markets Union that is the same everywhere. We are still very diverse in the markets. Some markets may resemble others a bit more. We can speak about groups of markets, but still it's not a single market. So that is a complication. And now when we look at why these EU capital markets are still underdeveloped compared to US markets, Roberto, what is really needed to achieve a true capital markets union? Thanks, Josina, for, uh, for the invitation and uh, the nice introduction. As you said, 
Yeah, capital markets in Europe are still uh, underdeveloped compared to those in the US. Actually, bank finance represents more than two-thirds of uh, European funding compared to the US where uh, capital markets represent the big chunk of, uh, of funding in the States. And as a result, also equity capitalization is much lower uh, in the EU compared to the US. Without doubt, uh, wider and uh, more liquid capital markets in Europe could improve uh, the European economy and boost uh, private investments, business investments uh, that are quite needed now in light of uh, the recovery from uh, uh, the, the COVID crisis and uh, uh, the, the current war in uh, Ukraine. This was also uh, reminded by President Macron uh, in uh, the margins of the meeting uh, uh, in Versailles with the heads of states and the government that capital markets union is still a priority and uh, even import, more important now as uh, uh, the EU announced uh, that once it become more uh, energy independent uh, and dependent from energy sources uh, imported uh, from abroad. So this would require massive investments, massive private investments and the development of capital markets is, uh, is key. However, there are still some, uh, some issues that believe that uh, EU regulators should address in order to facilitate the development of capital markets. First of all, uh, the fact that retail investors are still reluctant to invest in, uh, in capital markets uh, because their uh, level of trust is still uh, quite low. It has been low since the global financial crisis. And... Uh, we have learned uh, over time that when uh, uh, trust is, uh, is lost, it's difficult to, to restore it. And uh, they also see uh, the, the level of protection that they, they get is still uh, insufficient. Uh, this was actually also remarked by the AMF, the French National Competent Authority, uh, that the nature, for example, cross-border markets, digital finance would require more uh, adaptive rules on uh, investor protection. So an, an improved investor protection framework uh, and uh, level playing field for market participants could, uh, um, could help attract, for example, retail investors in capital markets. Another issue is uh, the fact that cross-border investments are impeded by the fact that some areas uh, are uh, still regulated at national level. For example, insolvency law, taxation law, transfer ownership of securities. Uh, these are still matters of uh, national competence. There are 27 different legislative regimes. This doesn't, uh, doesn't help investors that purchase products, for example, cross borders. They are not uh, pushed to, to do that. Another issue is uh, the level of information that is given to investors. Too complex information um, and it's not clear enough. What uh, investors need is uh, more qualitative information, more prominent information, and uh, comparable uh, data um, that uh, would help them uh, uh, take uh, a more sound investment decision. Because not always excessive information, too much information uh, uh, means uh, high level of protection. And finally, financial education. Regulators should also focus more on financial education, uh, uh, still equity culture, uh, uh, in um, investors, SMEs, uh, they need to be aware of uh, risks and benefits uh, of investing in uh, equity markets, uh, capital markets. Good, uh, good development is that uh, the Commission and the OECD have uh, adopted the financial conference framework for all those uh, 
uh, aiming to promote financial education uh, and, uh, and skills. But more has to be done, for example, financial education also to be taught uh, to children uh, since early, early stage uh, because they are um, the investors of the future. So these are uh, the, the issues that uh, I believe the regulators should be addressing for, to develop capital markets. And they're very big challenges. I mean, um, you know, going from investor education, which is complicated because it is managed mostly at the national level. And how do you bring an EU framework on that? And you clearly uh, refer to the fact that the financial crisis created this, this imbalance in trust. And I think our different surveys at CFA Institute have shown clearly when we talk about investor trust, that there is a gap between the perception that retail investors have of their trust in financial advisors and the, the reality. And I think it's the gap in terms of explanation on fees, on explanation on what is the product about. Um, I know Better Finance recently came out with a, a piece of work on inducements. Inducements, again, this is a big topic in Europe. This is not the topic today, however. But um, looking at SPACs, Roberto, SPACs is complex. Um, it depends at which level you invest. SPACs are not entirely transparent, perhaps always. SPACs, can they be better than investing straight into an IPO? So what, what role could these SPACs play in the context of EU capital markets? I mean, maybe you want to refer a little bit also to the IPO study we did together at CFA Institute with FISE, the EBRD, and to come to Europe a couple of years ago, where we had recommendations on the IPO market for the EU Commission. Um, but in any case, you know, is, is, can they play a role for this EU capital market? Roberto. Uh, yes. So first, SPACs are uh, blank check companies that raise capital uh, through uh, the IPO process, but their ultimate aim is to acquire an unlisted company. So they are uh, seen as an alternative uh, way of financing and uh, raising capital, uh, alternative to uh, the traditional IPO process and allow to bypass some of the steps, uh, burdens uh, that companies uh, go nor normally to go public via a traditional IPO process. As, as you said, they, there has been a boom in SPACs uh, uh, recently, particularly in the US. There has been also an increase in uh, SPAC transactions in, uh, in Europe, but to a lesser extent uh, compared to the US. Uh, this occurred especially in a few uh, member states, a few countries uh, such as the Netherlands, France, uh, and Luxembourg. And uh, being a, an alternative source of finance to and uh, alternative to IPOs, they could fit well to, with the, the European agenda of uh, achieving capital markets union. Uh, we have seen uh, and experienced a decreasing trend in IPOs uh, uh, recently. This is due to various factors, uh, for example, documentation rules uh, on equity investments uh, that are uh, quite heavy, starting managers facing restrictions on uh, uh, minimum trading volumes uh, of investments in, in public funds, but also the lower level of flexibility that investors have in um, a traditional IPO process, uh, for example, um, the funding investors and the sponsor investors uh, uh, are restricted from selling company shares uh, during the lockup period in a traditional IPO process. Uh, this goes between 90 and 180 days, while uh, investors in SPACs uh, can redeem their shares at the IPO price. So SPACs could 
play a role in, uh, in, uh, in the EU agenda of uh, development of capital markets, uh, actually regulators, the commission and uh, other co-legislators are uh, facing a dilemma. On the one hand, uh, for the stimulate capital markets, uh, including also SPACs, uh, so alternative source of, sources of finance, uh, and also attracting retail investors to invest uh, in capital markets, uh, the commission actually is uh, expected to launch uh, Uh, it's the retail investor agenda later this year. And uh, on the other end, uh, to ensure uh, a sufficient level of investor protection. Uh, this is a contrast uh, mentioned that actually the Commission is, uh, is focusing on uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. So with the quick on me, if indeed uh, the Commission uh, relaxed uh, some uh, requirements on transparency, but there were also some concerns on, uh, on investor protection by doing that. Uh, so ensuring uh, an adequate level of investor protection uh, would, uh, would require, for example, a, a single regulation at, uh, at the EU level on SPACs that is missing now. Last year, actually, ESMA issued a statement uh, calling for uh, greater clarity and comparability of information uh, in SPAC prospectuses. This can be uh, achieved uh, through a regulation, uh, a legislation at the EU level that is... Uh, applied consistently and enforced consistently across member states. And also supervision uh, at the European level would be important uh, to reduce uh, uh, supervisory approaches and practices uh, in the EU. So, thank, thank you. I think it's clear that there is really a benefit to, to make sure that the transparency And, and sort of purpose, but you know, the real, the investor protection rules are managed at the EU level. And of course, this is, this is fairly problematic. There have been quite a few consultations recent, the recent time on supervisory convergence, on sort of relaxing rules a little bit, investment. You see that sort of regulators are struggling with trying to stimulate the market on the one hand and protect investors on the other hand. And here, of course, in this report, we come out with some really quite concrete suggestions. Eduardo, when I look to the concrete suggestions on the transparency issue in SPACs, what can you tell me that where some of the conclusions reached by participants to the roundtables and the report conclusions on, let's say, information disclosure? Thank you, Josina, and thank you for the invitation at the, at the podcast. So uh, from a general point of view, as already explained a little bit, Roberto, so the SPACs do not provide the same level of information as traditional IPO. And this is because uh, there is no operating business in the prospectus at the time of the listing. So this provides a different setting when it comes for uh, information disclosure. And um, there are two important aspects for uh, retail investors, which are the target market for potential business acquisition, but also information regarding the expertise of the sponsors. However, during the roundtable, it has been raised that uh, considering the nature of the SPACs as an empty vehicle, it's, uh, it's important to have a clear disclosure information of the expertise of the sponsors. And this plays a key role in terms of transparency of the SPAC. So, What it has been observed as well is that at the moment, the presentation of the sponsors is most of the time perceived as a marketing gimmick, which it means that sometimes the information is a little bit superficial and the information disclosure, disclosure is superficial. And it has been noted that the technical due diligence of the sponsor is a key for a comprehensive picture of SPAC. There is also another important element 
about the information disclosure, and it is about the management team and the disclosure of scandals or possible scandals related to the, their past performance. Uh, therefore, it's important to clarify how the SPAC initiatives came up and how defined and who defined the, the SPAC strategy. And this should include also the interest that the sponsors might have in the future acquisition of the company. But also it's uh, interesting that during the discussion at the roundtable, the, the, the participants agree that it's not easy to define and to measure the track record of the sponsor and of the management team. So if on the one side, this information is crucial for retail investors, on the other side, uh, there are no specific criteria or a standardized approach on how to define the track record in the prospectus, for example. And also another issue in terms uh, of transparency is the information about the growth prospects and revenues. So for example, uh, if we look at the US, uh, US electric car companies, they plan to have, uh, uh, that they plan to be listed in the SPACs. They actually announced a skyrocketing uh, revenues and future forecast, which actually reached 10 billion US dollar after three years of production. So, and this is, there are very different projections between before the, the merger and the, when the merger take place. So the, for example, the US SEC uh, defined these differences in projections uh, as regulatory arbitrage or loophole. So uh, to conclude uh, uh, my answers, answer to the question, so retail investors, they need some specific information. And this concerned the SPAC, uh, SPAC governance, uh, which include the track record and the qualification of sponsors and management uh, team. Also to have information about the incentives and potential conflicts of interest of the sponsors, and also to know about the relation between the management team and the sponsors. Also very important to know it's the information about cost and fees arising from the SPAC IPO, and also information about the target company in particular about the strategy to select the company. And to conclude, it's important also to have information on the expected procedure to evaluate the target company. Thank you. That, that was very complete, Eduardo. And that's really, when you see the challenges on the information side, you, we realize why perhaps the, the product is a complicated one for retail investors. It needs quite a sophisticated retail investor to understand all this. So. Turning to retail investor protection, and I, I, I use my famous triangle to speak about investor protection when I say investor protection is, is about, as you said very well, Roberto, investor education from, from one part, the fiduciary responsibility of the financial advisor or the asset management company or the institutional investor, and then also the product governance. And we know that in Europe, we look at product governance very clearly through, through MIFID, of course. But it is complicated because how far do you go and which side of that triangle balances out so that it, it is a pure triangle balance? What do we need? What would you advise to Eduardo in terms of augmenting this investor protection or to the national competent authorities? Yes, thank you, Justina. So. In the roundtable stakeholders from Better Finance and CFA, they actually agreed on the need to provide retail investor protection across the all various phases of SPACs. So connected also with what we discussed before, it's important to have retail investor protection, which is complementary to the transparency regime. 
So, and uh, what has been, been raised also during the roundtable is that the pre-major stage uh, of the SPACs require particular, particular attention. Because as you said, Josina, it is a complex uh, financial instrument and this is uh, one of the characteristics that makes SPACs com- a complex uh, instrument for retail investors is this possibility of redeeming the shares ahead of the merger. And there are some uh, other particular as- aspects that actually uh, makes SPACs a complex instrument and uh, uh, might raise some issues in the, in the investor protection uh, aspects. So for example, uh, if we look at the 20% share that is reserved for sponsors, this might also uh, raise some issues regarding the misalignment of incentives between the sponsors and the retail investors. So this can actually bring the sponsor to quickly find the business combination, even though the quality of the deal is not optimal. Also, there is the problem that misleading disclosure of skyrocketing revenues and forecasts might attract more and more individual investors who are left with undervalued shares after, after the deal. And also, uh, from a market, uh, market perspective, this has been raised during the, during the roundtable as well, that is the uh, information asymmetry between the sponsor and the retail investor is actually reinforcing what we said before about this disequilibrium of incentives between the two parties. So the report also provides some policy recommendation in this context. And one of these is, for example, to provide better governance. So to have rules, specific rules, uh, in order to address what are the conflicts of interest with the target company, if there are any conflicts of interest, also to better align the interests of the sponsors with those of the investors, like, for example, to make granting the promote conditional to the performance of the sponsor, or as well to reduce the promote of the sponsor to from 20% to a fairer share, for example, also complemented by traditional remuneration, such as executive compensation or target bonuses, and as well, it's very important to have an effective collective redress at the EU level. So, for example, the collective redress directive should create a mechanism that ensure high level of uh, consumer protection, but also equal condition for access to justice. And this should be for the entire spectrum of uh, consumers in the EU, and should in- which should include investors and financial service users. Thank you very much. The challenges are there. And let us let us remind ourselves that what we really need for this capital markets union is to promote that European equity culture, better finance. You have said again and again, you know, investing directly into equities is important, but you have to understand there needs to be good research coverage. We need tax incentives. We need to ensure that everything is put to balancing out an investment in markets, which can be complex because after all, at this moment in time, we are in very uncertain market conditions with extreme conditions, which make it very, very, very difficult for retail investors and also for institutional investors. So it needs to come all together. And financial innovation with new types of products, incentivizing retail investors can be very complicated in this this time and, and space. I want to thank both of you because I think it's a very useful piece of research looking at both sides from the uh, perspective of both retail buyers, but also of uh, the financial advisor, the asset manager side. 
And now I want to want to close with saying that I really welcome comments through social media on these podcasts. I welcome your suggestions also for speakers and topics. What do you want to know more about from EU regulation? Is it all very transparent or do you have issues that you would like me to raise and discuss? Please engage with me on social media and look out for future podcasts. Thank you very much. Thank you.